friends, this is the Be Real Babe podcast, a place where your average Canadian wolf pack come together to talk about life stresses, messes, and successes. Each week, we will bring you new episodes sharing our experiences on a ton of different topics in hopes that we get a better understanding of ourselves, each other, and this crazy world we live in. We want to build a community where we can show up as ourselves, be real, and lay it all out there. By sharing our experiences, we hope to reach others who can relate so we can all help each other learn, grow, and heal. But please keep in mind, as a disclaimer, none of us here are professionals, no one is giving any advice, we are strictly speaking of our life experiences and for entertainment purposes only. Now with that being said, it's time. So grab your drink, grab your joint, and let's jump right in. Welcome everyone. Welcome back to the Be Real Babe podcast. If this is your first time here, thank you so much for stopping by the show today. If you're a returning listener, we can't thank you enough for the support and the constant love we feel. Today we are on episode 29 and this is a bonus episode in our cannabis month and unfortunately for now the last one but we're going to end with a doozy with a returning guest that we all know and love so much and we're really getting addicted to all of her knowledge so without further ado I'm going to introduce our first and only guest of this episode Sarah. Hey babe how's it going? Oh I'm good how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming up with this idea for the show and coming back on today. Um, your last episode is by far one of the most listened to that we've had so far. And I know that has a lot to do with like the content, but also that you shared so much of your wicked knowledge. So thank you for coming back for round two. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so excited. And do you want to give uh, everybody since so you guys I'm giving Sarah a complete creative directive, uh, proper whatever. Uh, she gets to decide. To, this is a great start. She gets to decide today. I didn't prepare at all <laughs> what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about essentially one thing that we haven't really gone to detail is growing plants because there's a lot of people that are starting to see it as a plant. They're starting to see it as medicine. And just like when you grow your own vegetables and your own flowers and things that make you bring you happiness, growing cannabis and smoking it and saving yourself money and being a part of the plant and just like being patient is the coolest process. So Sarah is going to help us learn a bit more about that today. Is that a fair way to explain it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. What I was hoping to get into today is basically gardening cannabis. Um, exactly as you say, it's a plant. So how do we cultivate our own medicines at home, our own foods at home? Um, and that's something that I've been getting into definitely over the last five, six years, and then working as a horticultural scientist in the cannabis industry has given me a bit of a, a launch pad to really experiment with all the different variables that could go into it. But when you bring it down to its essence, we're just, we're gardening. It's one of many plants that I have in my garden. I grow eggplants and tomatoes and salads and all sorts of different things. But I do know other people in my family and in my community that don't even consume cannabis, but they really enjoy growing it. So that's what we're going to talk about today is kind of how, how you would get into it if you've never grown cannabis before and you're not even sure where to start. I love that. And you know, it's so funny that you say that because I didn't realize until I got into the cannabis industry that there are people that are passionate for it that don't consume it. And actually in my own household, uh, Grant will, you know, try it from time to time, especially if it's his own um, grown, but he doesn't uh, cultivate or grow it for himself. He grows it for me and the pure love of growing and cultivating and watching cannabis um, and learning about it. And the it's insane. Every every plant is different uh, and unique. And <laughs> uh, it's fun to watch. And it's great because he gives me the flowers that I love most. 
Yeah. So how long have the two of you been growing together now? Um, about, I would say it's safe to say about three, three years, I would say that's, that's fair. We came home with a clone on from the Island and we ended up, we had a huge basement. So we took advantage of that. Um, definitely, uh, got a large amount at one time, but it was, it, we dialed back down and now we, you know, have a couple just to supply me with medicine, right? It's, it's such a nice, um, thing to do together and to watch and to learn, but it's also equally, wonderful to save money in that aspect you know what I mean and Mm -hmm. for one you know what it's being grown with you know um, any nutrients that are going into it you know the processes behind it and um, how it's you know cured and dried and trimmed and you get to be a part of that and that hard work and then after smoking it and tasting it on a craft level versus like on a large grow scale, not saying large grow can't do that but I just find there's like such beauty and the love that you give into your own plant I don't know does that make sense (laughs) Oh, it totally makes sense. That's if that, and that's where I like to bring it back to gardening. It doesn't really matter what you're growing. Gardening a plant is just a really humbling, beautiful experience because every time you grow a plant, you learn a little bit more. And even partway through it, you're like, oh, I would have changed this next time. And that's definitely where I come at it from. As, as a scientist and as a gardener, it's constantly learning, constantly trying slight tweaks, slight little modifications. Um, and then really getting down to, okay, yeah, you know, it's a lot. We talked in, in episode 25 about consuming cannabis and how it's a little bit experimental. It's a little bit stepwise. You just have to document your experience. And growing can be a lot the same way, too. In my home grow, I don't document nearly as aggressively as I do professionally. Um, <laughs> but it's it's watching it and saying, oh, that didn't work that well. But if I do it like this then it'll give me a bit better of a platform and the plant will grow better. So yeah. And each strain, each strain having its own kind of like different, like you tried it and that's about growing too. You try a different strain. You're like, Oh, I do the same thing. Oh, it didn't quite, it wasn't as receptive as, as to this lighting or schedule or nutrients or whatever environment. And it's like you said, it's really individual. And I don't know, we've learned that. And there's some things that were really super successful. And other times we're like, Oh, you know, that wasn't, I will always say it's great because I love everything, but Grant is yeah. critical of his grow where I just like, it's cannabis and I'm so happy to have this, um, where he'd be like, oh, well, next time I'm going to try this method or he's tried so many different, um, ways of just like manipulating the plant and trying different. And it's really cool to, it is like a science experiment with your garden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's true with every crop I've had. I mean, you just, you learn so much so quickly from plants and, but I guess what I would caution beginner gardeners, if this is your first time growing cannabis, and especially if you don't have a lot of experience growing other plants, there's going to be a, a bit of failure. And it's okay, <laughs> because they're plants. They can... Now, and I give my cannabis plants a little bit more love uh, than some of my other plants and that I baby them a little bit more. Yeah. So I do also like to say, maybe prepare yourself to give it a little bit more time and a little bit more attention um, than say a house plant, which you can at a time and just generally water it. Um, however, that said, um, one of the things that I want to dive into here is one of the first things you have to decide when you're going to grow a cannabis plant is where do you want to grow it? So you guys uh, grow primarily indoors. You said in a basement and I've seen you've got a really nice kind of a closet set up. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic. So that's one route to go. If you do indoor growing, we have um, tents you too. have to, sorry? We do have tents too. Oh, a tent. <laughs> yeah, everything. beautiful. 
Yeah. Well, so any of those indoor growing styles, um, it's, I mean, let's talk pros, cons. So pros, you get to grow year round. Mm-hmm. Um, you do get a bit of privacy, which now that we're talking legal for adult use in Canada, uh, for plants, privacy is a little bit less of a concern, but, um, there certainly are aspects of the Cannabis Act that you, people should be aware of, yeah. um, in terms of, you're not supposed to have flowering plants in public, for instance. So, um, and if you invite people onto your property, um, the law gets a bit squirrely about what's public. And I know that there have been some people who have had, especially early in legalization or this stage of legalization, have had plants confiscated yeah. because they participated in the garden tour. And the um, an off-duty cop was on the garden tour, but because you invited the public onto the property, so the plants public. were now in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good points. So there's things like that that people should be conscious of, and it's worthwhile reviewing the the rules. Um, but so having indoor grow definitely gives some advantages there. Now, one thing I'd caution with the indoor grow is that it is more work. You have mm-hmm. to supply everything. You have to supply all of the water, all of the nutrients. You have to supply the growing media or substrate that you're actually, you know, your your soilless substrate in a container. Um, or if you're doing aquaponics or hydroponics, you have to supply the light. Um, so the price tag on that can escalate pretty quickly. Um, yes. And I, yeah, my own grow, I have um, a four by four foot tent. And I just have it in a, in a spare room in our house. And I have a nice Gavita LED light that I was lucky to get um, on discount. And then, but then you have to get an extraction fan because the light will increase the temperature in the room. You need a strong enough extraction fan to get that heat out of there. Um, And when that's happening, your overnight temperatures can drop way down. So you're probably going to need a little heater in there and you're probably going to need a little humidifier in there, especially if you're in uh, the Okanagan, like we are. <laughs> if, you're, if you're somewhere that's more humid, like yeah. back in Ontario, um, maybe not so much. But so thinking about, okay, I want to grow inside. Um, if I want to go to the far end, what I just described, that would be, that's the fancy version. Right. I do this professionally, so I get treat myself a little bit. Yeah. Now, the nice thing is that I'm already eating eggplants out of my grow tent and we're uh, late June. Wow. So, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So eggplants, jalapenos, too. tomatoes. You're talking so, about putting vegetables in ours, too, just because we have a little bit of the space and why not? Yeah. Right? See how that goes. That's so interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And then once you start doing that, then you can get some of those plants going. Um, I haven't done this yet, but I'm, as far as I understand, an eggplant, if you keep it warm enough overnight, so you keep it inside permanently, it's basically a perennial. Um, so it should continue to bear fruit, but I'm, I'm just getting into that. So that's not really my area of expertise. <laughs> we'll go back to cannabis. Yeah. <laughs> but the point being, yeah, once you make this investment, you do get to grow food indoors with your cannabis year round. Yeah. Um, and once that's all operating, the, you know, other than the power cost for, for all of those devices isn't very much. So okay. it's, it's can be a kind of an upfront cost. And um, the, the biggest thing that I would tell people, if you're deciding to go this route, you want to invest in an indoor growth setup, give yourself enough time 
to get the environment stable before you try and put plants in there. Because I've done this and I've seen so many other people do this exact same mistake. You get excited, you get some cuttings, you get some seedlings and you want to get cracking. And, you know, in my case, I had an extraction fan, but I changed my light fixture out. And when I did that, the extraction fan was no longer strong enough and I couldn't keep my temperatures in a reasonable set range, even though I had the extraction fan going. Yeah. And that took me a couple weeks to, to troubleshoot and, you know, cause you're working and this is a little side project. This is a gardening at home. Yeah. You don't have so, time. <laughs> exactly. So trying to chip away at things like that. And then also, you know, previously we, we had had smaller LEDs in there with a smaller extraction fan and no humidifier. And we had done two crops like that. And it was great. When I put the more powerful LED in, needed the more powerful extraction fan, then I needed the humidifier. So there's different levels on here. You don't necessarily need everything up front. Um, but you should give yourself some time to learn. Yes. Okay. If I put this in, it's going to need that. Um, before you get the plants going, because then once you get the plants going, then you get stressed out that you're hurting your plants. And yeah. weed recovers pretty well. I've done some pretty mean things to some of my crops in terms of I didn't give myself enough time and I had to keep taking them in and out of the tent and putting them under different light fixtures just to keep them alive. They still yeah. flower. They still produce. They, ret- they, they can bounce they back. back but- they come back, but it's terrifying. It, it yeah, it's just, when you come in and you're like, oh no, fuck. Yeah, and and that's where I say there's a certain amount of failure you need to expect. There's a certain amount of patience you need to give yourself, um, totally. just to figure it out. Yeah. Um, okay, so so that's kind of that. a crash course in if you were doing the grow tent style. Yeah. Um, and you what I do like about the basic, but you 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 yeah. will want to evolve into and get more things, and it will directly um affect too one your your output and your crop right and you mm-hmm. learn that as you go yeah. so you can start like there are weeds but there are ways to benefit from having a bit of knowledge behind you and setting up your environment so that it's a successful crop exactly exactly and so if all of that sounds like way too much work and too much <laughs> effort and I just want to grow some ganja um there's outside yeah. It grows great outside. But one thing that we need to be conscious of is that the majority of cannabis varieties are photoperiod dependent. And there are other crops that are like this. But what it means is that um, just to take one step back, you have the different life stages of the cannabis plant. So I like to break it down into propagation is the, the first few weeks of life, whether you're a seed or you're a cutting. And we'll jump into that in a moment. But, you know, it's the baby stage is your propagation stage. And then you get into kind of your teenage stage, your vegetative stage. And that's where the plant is investing in root growth, in stem growth, in leaf growth. And it's just trying to get big and strong and be able to to move into that next reproductive stage, um, which is where it actually produces flowers. Flowers are are the sexual organs of of the plant. And um, if you're growing for drug type cannabis, you're growing for those flowers. And that's the part that you're going to harvest. So um, to move from that vegetative to flowering stage, most people um, 
If you're doing it indoors, it's a lot simpler because you change from an 18 hours of daylight to a 12 hours of daylight and then um, 12 hours of dark. You can kind of think of it if she really needs her beauty sleep once she's <laughs> is getting into that princess stage, that flowering stage. Um, needs it. Can't He's wake her it. up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it is important to keep that long, dark period. Um, because it can, the plant can actually revert back to vegetative growth, and then that disrupts the flowering, which disrupts your yield. So it is important that if you want to grow for flower, that you need them to have that nice 12 hours of dark. Um, if you are growing up here in Canada, that is tricky when you start pushing up against um, frost in the yeah. fall, right? Because we have you know, we're here, we're just after the summer solstice right now. So we have very, very long days right now. We're going to have very, very long days for a while. Um, so that is why, um, especially in previous decades, when people would take seed from, you know, if you got a batch of, of weed from Mexico or from Thailand, and there was a couple of seeds in there and people would try to grow them out and they wouldn't really flower in time, it was because they needed um, a different photo period. And this is also true in crops like poinsettias. Um, so what you do in, in that crop is you would have your greenhouses and you put shade cloths on the greenhouses to force that, that period of dark. So you could do that with cannabis too. Um, my preference of those options, so if I don't, if I either grow inside where it's easy and I just start giving them only 12 hours of light and otherwise I make sure the room is kept dark and I'm not going in there and turning the lights on or anything. Um, if I'm outside, if I want to grow in kind of the normal part of the Canadian summer, you might think about doing some playing with shade, but that's quite a bit of effort too. So my preference is starting to become autoflowers. Yeah. Um, so it decides. And the genetics. Sorry? It's because it decides essentially, doesn't it? Exactly. So you have the auto flowering and it's uh, strawberries are also quite a lot of them are photo period dependent, but you can get auto flowering ones or you can get like continuous flowering ones. Like, you know how there's those different kinds of strawberries. Mm -hmm. So you can harvest them at different points during the, the season. Um, so similarly, these auto flowering cannabis plants. Yeah, it's automatic. It doesn't matter how many hours of light there are. So those are pretty neat. My last crop, I did auto flowering and I like them a lot because I could have them in the grow tent with other vegetables and I could just keep it on that 18 hours of light um, and it's flowering. So it's actually getting more light at the same time, which is nice. Yeah, that's um, so that worked out well. And then I was able to put them outside um, really, really early. So without having to worry about them reverting back to veg because they're just going to finish when they want to finish. Um, so that's something I really like about the auto flowering. If you want to grow outside, if you want the, just the simplest thing, auto flowering, feminized. Nice. Um, because you don't have to do anything to that. It's pretty well plug and play. Um, one note on the feminized item. So we talked about this in our last episode as well. You get male and female plants. And the flowering structure is very different, but you can't tell them apart until they start flowering, um, unless you're putting like a DNA test through. But 
home grower. I'm guess- I've never done it. I'm guessing most people aren't going to bother. Just wait till the flowers show up. I'm hearing Lizzo's DNA test turned out. <laughs> I'm 100%. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. But, but if you wait, that's fair. If you wait for the flowers to show up, basically it, the females will ha- look like they've got these white hairs on them. And then the males look more kind of like cones and they, they drop down. So the females are, the flowers are those hairs, which are called pistils, they're sticking upwards. And then the males, um, their flowers are almost dropping down kind of like balls. They, yeah, I was just going to say, is it like, you know, like boobs are up and then testicles are down or is that kind of? Yeah, you, you said it, that yeah. it, it is an easy way to remember. Oh, um, really so way. if you're there seeing you male, yeah, so if you're seeing male plants and you want to grow for, for drug type flower, then you remove the male plants right away. Getting a feminized uh, seed or getting a cutting off a female plant will help make sure that you have it exactly what you need and that's important if you're sticking to the the legal limit of four plants which we probably should be um they've got yeah you want to make sure that all four of those plants are female um because it kind of sucks if you get part way through and you're like oh i just lost part of my crop and um if you're growing from seed and they're not feminized you can assume that there's going to be a random 50 50 shot of each one so yeah and so basically um if you're uh and we'll dive more into the um home grow inside and the things you need so basically for outdoor you would kind of have two options not two options but there's the auto flower which basically is going to be your easiest you throw it in the dirt give it some love but basically you don't have to worry about its timeline about the sun so what if you were to put in just a regular one um when so I get asked this a lot, like if I wanted to do an outdoor grow right now without an autoflower, when should I be putting it in the soil? And essentially, when am I going to be cropping out? Which I kind of know the answer, but from your point of view. Well, yeah, I mean, it it depends on where you are because I'm, I'm this podcast is online, so anybody could be yes. listening to this. Okay. But it's whenever um, you want your flowering to start when you hit that 12 hours of daylight. And there's going to be a little bit of difference from variety to variety probably, but what you're going to have to do is look up for your area. When am I going to hit 12 hours of daylight and less? That's when I can expect flowering to trigger. The average cultivar, um, from what I can see, the veg stage can go as long as you like. If you're growing inside, you would probably stick to, you know, two to four weeks for a veg and then you'd flip it. If you're growing outside, um, you would start it however long before that trigger period you wanted based on how big you want. So basically the longer you um, have it in veg, is it fair to say like, so if you had it like two to four weeks inside, it's not going to sprout out too, too tall because in that teenager stage is trying to get tall and lean. Um, but then once it flips over to flowering, it's focusing on making the flower as opposed to growing tall. So when you're outside, it's not necessarily as much of a concern for height because you're outdoors but when you're growing in a tent that's probably a factor is that fair to say that's exactly right so and i, I know we're flipping between indoor and outdoor and I hopefully that's not okay. too confusing for people but it i mean a lot of us are growing both ways i grow yeah. inside and outside concurrently um but that's exactly right the the constraint when you're inside is usually the height of the plant and cannabis plants can get if they're outside in the soil, in the compost, I've seen them be like 10, 12 feet tall. 
Oh yeah. They're like trees. (laughs) They can get big. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So the way that you control the size of the plant is going to be the duration that you veg it for. So exactly like you say, um, before you get into that 12 hour period, the other way that you control it, and we'll dive into this in a little bit is um, the size of the container that you put it in. Or if you're putting it in the ground, then you're saying, yep, you're going to potentially get kind of big. So, so those are the two things here. The, the length of time that it's allowed to veg out for before it starts producing flowers and the size of effectively where it's the space where its roots can take up is a way to visualize how big the plant will get. If it has a really big container or the whole ground to grow out in, you'll get a bigger plant. That's fair. So and it, it's specifically if that happens during the veg stage. Um, once you've gotten well into flowering, I've done this before where I transplanted while it was well into flowering because it was a little bit, this isn't what I wanted to do, but I kind of had to. And uh, they don't grow so much once they're flowering. They will in that early part when you've just triggered them. So you've gone from, say, either your 18 to 12 hours or you're just hitting your 12 hours. But we call it triggering when they're starting to make their flowers. Um, they will still gain height at that point. So don't grow them to a certain height and they'll be like, okay, I'm going to trigger and they're going to stop growing. It'll keep growing. (laughs) (laughs) Some cultivars will grow twice as high as they were. (laughs) Um, So if you're inside and you have to worry about how close you are to the light, um, and yes, a cannabis plant that touches a hot HPS light can light on fire. So be careful okay. about things like that. Um, and we'll, we can get into some more of <laughs> safety things in a minute. Good but um, yeah, you have to think about how much space you have to work with. So if you're outside, you can let them go, you can let them veg as long as you want. And so you're choosing that time that you can plant it to go back to your original question based on I'm going to get 12 hours of light. So the plant is about the size that I want it to be, whether I've had it vegging for four weeks or you know, you planted it super early and it's been vegging for eight weeks and it's a monster. That's fine. Um, but that flowering stage is quite often, I mean, give it six to 10 weeks for the average variety, probably, or six to 12 weeks, call it, but probably more often in that eight to 10 or 11. Yeah. Um, you need that many weeks for it to finish flowering. For the, and when if you're buying it, uh, if you're buying seed, it should hopefully have some information about that on it, um, about how long the flowering period is. Do is think about when your first frost date is going to be in the fall. Yeah. When your daylight length is going to be 12 hours, and do you have that eight to 10 weeks window in between? Yeah, and that's the duration. Sometimes- it's unpredictable too, right? And you have to have like an emergency crop too. So being very aware when you that, like to really be watching the weather um, too, so that you're not like putting them out into the frost essentially, right? Yep, exactly. And now, and that's an advantage if you want to grow them in containers. Mm-hmm. I've done this too, where I had like, oh, the frost came sooner than I was hoping. I had to bring the plants inside and finish them inside. Mm-hmm. And I think Sorry. a lot of Canadians have to do that. It kind of <laughs> sucks. The reason it sucks is the plant is already full size. Yeah. So it's a lot easier if 
for this is why I'm so excited about auto flowering plants, especially because my last crop had a decent yield on it. Yeah. Um, is that I could start them early. So they're inside when they're small and they're outside when they're finishing, as opposed to outside when they're growing and inside when they're finishing. Because you need to have the, yeah, exactly. So you need to have the space if you, if you think that that's a risk, mm-hmm. um, plan ahead is my biggest one. Cause it, it sucks when you get to the end of a crop and you're like, Oh, like I've got this frost and I, I have no room to bring them inside. I don't have lights inside because I was growing outside and all these things. And, and then you have to call your crop. So it's, the biggest thing I'll say with, with any crop really is it's nice to think about the end before you start. And mm-hmm. the more plants you have, the more important that that is, especially I see um, people who are just coming into the cannabis industry. So we're not talking home growers, but I don't see the planning happening up front that I'd like to and that they, they haven't thought through how they're going to, how are you going to harvest and how are you, what are you going to do with that harvest and how are you going to dry it and how are you going to store it? So, Oh yeah. Yeah. There's so much yeah. more than just growing the plant. Right. And for especially new people and those that aren't in the industry and see the process from beginning to end, those are maybe some things people don't think about. And I think that's one thing people say it will come to us about with questions like, Oh, that seems moldy or like, you know, mm-hmm. after you, after I'm done growing it, what do you, what do I do? Right. Like there's, there's more yeah. to it than just like giving it some water and putting it in sun to make sure you're getting the best product if you're going for that THC flower to it. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, you have to think about the, the, it as a project and its whole life cycle. And at the end of its life cycle, when is that going to be, what are you going to do and prepare to have that environment? That's also an important environment to have ready is after the harvest and the crop. Right. And those are very important things easier when you're at home and you have a couple handful of plants, but you're talking hundreds of thousands of plants on a grand scale that takes even more planning. Right. And it's like, frig, I can barely yep. handle the four I have at home. <laughs> but, but even on the home scale, and this is why I bring it up is it's easy to underestimate the work that's going to come at the yeah. end. Yeah. Um, and so I don't like people to be caught off guard, even if it's only for a plant, You're like, okay, what are you going to, and we'll talk about this kind of in order. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll circle back around to the post-harvest processing, but, but so when you're launching into this, okay, I've never grown cannabis before. What do I need to do? I need to think about where do I want to grow it? Am I growing it inside or outside? And what do I want to do with it at the end? Yeah. And then that'll help you make all of those other decisions. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So when you're deciding if you're going to plant it outside, look at your earliest frost date in the fall. Look at when you're going to hit 12 hours. See if you have enough time to finish the crop in the middle. If you don't, then you need to plan to probably bring your crop inside or you need to play with shade cloth in the at kind of that early to make that 12 hours happen sooner so that you can finish the plant. Um, but that's a lot of effort, too. I haven't actually played with shade cloth out, um, outside myself, so yeah, I'm not going to give any recommendations tiring. on that. Yeah, but as I say, it's done in other crops. So this isn't a new crazy thing that's just for cannabis. This is something that's well established for other other flowers. So that's an option or make it easy on yourself and find something that's auto flowering and feminized and then just go. 
just go with it. And that's the perfect for the, for the outdoor and to, like you said, being aware of what you're putting it in. So obviously if you're going to be possibly bringing it inside, planting it yeah. inside the ground might not be the best idea. Well, that's not going to work. Yeah, <laughs> no. you see, you're going to not, because you're not going to want to, well, you can't dig those roots out probably without harming it or very like upsetting the plant, not in a way that's going to produce THC. Sometimes it's good to stress the plant out to get it, you know, to stress out a little bit, get a little bit more, whatever, um, but to just like cut it out of the ground. So if you are thinking, hmm, it's a possibility, and I'm sure you'll get into that more when it comes to planting, you know, just like you said, figure out where you're going to be doing it inside, outside, because that's going to dictate the following steps on how you proceed, because although similar, they're also very different um, and different ways of doing it inside and outside too. Yep. Yep. So you got it. It is a lot easier, but it's just, it's, it, we want to see people like, I, it makes me sad. We've given lots of clones out and lots of, uh, you know, gifted, um, because we want to see other people take on, you know, that, that just cultivation of it. And like you said, the gardening aspect of it and really seeing it on a plant perspective instead of just seeing it as a drug. Um, but it's very disappointing too. You see a lot of people just like, oh, the clone died, all oh, the seed died. And, you know, so getting mm-hmm. that information out for people to be like, hey, you can do it. You just have to be a little bit prepared. Like, it's just like in anything in life, the more education you have, the more knowledge you have going into something, um, the more successful you're going to be, but also realizing you're going to fail. Like I've walked downstairs and forgotten to water them and all of them are like falling over and you're like, holy shit, water. Like so simple. Yeah. You just needed water. Yeah. But like you're so busy at work. You got tied up. It's in the basement. Your spouse is gone. You had a hard day. You fell asleep. You forgot you wake up in the morning. Well, the lights were still on, not like, you know, in their cycle and you forgot to, you know, it's, it's easy. So just be kind to yourself. <laughs> that's yeah. And that's exactly where I'm going with this is that I'm the classic example of someone who starts growing too many plants and does not have time to take care of them all <laughs> and then gets frustrated. So that's where I'm coming at this from is be kind to yourself. What do you have time to take care of? How much effort are you willing to put into this project and how much product do you want out of it? Yeah. So what's, your goal? what's your goal with it? Exactly. So if you just want to grow it, just to grow it, just to see what it's like, just to get into it, I would strongly recommend grow outside in the ground, a feminized auto flower because it's your easiest option. Yeah. If you're serious about this and you, um, you want to get pretty decent production and specifically you want to grow more than one crop out of the year getting a little four by four foot tent um, and you can start with um, my first lights I got off Amazon and they were fairly inexpensive they weren't the best lights in the world but I was able to grow under them yeah um, just little these little LEDs so you can start with something like that and like I said when I was growing with those with those smaller lights, I needed a simple, cheap extraction fan, but I didn't need the humidifier yet. Um, and I did have a little space heater in there. Um, but if you grow like that, you don't have to deal with all of this, this lighting issues because it's a slip of the switch, Yeah. right? Or it's a timer. Yeah. Um, say, by the way, I'm a big, <laughs> yeah, big fan. If you're growing inside and you've got all these bits and pieces, timers 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 and I prefer weirdly enough because I'm um I'm not a huge techie person but I I like to use the best tool for the job and strangely enough my favorite timers are the the kind of old school manual ones where you actually have to press down the um the little notches okay as opposed to the the fully digital ones 
And I don't know why. I just, I like them better because the digital ones, I sometimes you run into issues where the programs just don't want to behave themselves. Yeah, they glitch. And you, it's one more thing that you're fighting with versus these old school ones. If you want to put light breaks in, um, if you want to change the, the length of the, the light period from your or reduce it from your 18 to 12, it's just so simple and easy for anybody to do. It's more and then you know... Exactly. Yeah. And then you know that you don't have to um, come back to this, right? Because you, I check my tent in the morning and I water as I need to. But otherwise, the I've got everything kind of on little timers and little sensors. So the light is on a timer. The humidifier, I have to top up when I water the plants. So that's easy. I just keep it on, on a setting that seems to, to work well. And I really encourage, if you're going to grow in a tent, get a little um, temperature humidity, like like a thermometer that has relative humidity on it, Um, just to keep an eye on things. And we'll talk a little bit about like IPM problems, so um, pest and disease problems and sanitation problems. And so it's helpful to know what your temperature and humidity are when you're troubleshooting and just make sure the plants are happy. Um, so those are all really useful little gadgets. Again, these are more things to spend money on, but once you have them, it it flows nicely. And so having those continuous crops or having, um, yeah, it's it in some ways the indoor is less work because it's protected from the outdoor elements. The environment is consistent and stable as long as it's all running smoothly. Yeah, <laughs> outdoor, and- you have more uncertainty. Yes, but you also have rain and sunshine and it's getting things from the environment. So you don't have to supply 100% of its needs. So those yeah. are kind of the, the, the different decisions you need to decide what's your style. Yeah. And I, that's so funny. So we have a ton of timers and uh, cause we had a couple tents and now we just are down to one. So we had extra timers and we use them for our Christmas lights. <laughs> yeah. <Christmas> time. <laughs> so and there it you turns go. On at nighttime when it just gets dark, the Christmas lights automatically turn on. And, it, and then it's the same thing with the tents too. And at some point we had the tent close to us who are living in Kelowna and you just like, it's like 5am, bam, the lights are on. And it's just, if it depends too on what you want to invest in, what your lifestyle is. If you have the time mm-hmm. to manually do that stuff and watch it all day, great. That's so wonderful. But my, like myself and Grant, we're both very busy. Sometimes we're gone 12, 14 hours a day and we don't want to, um, because this is something I use for my medicine, it's not just something we grow for fun it's crucial for us to make sure that like our goal is to produce something that I can use. So we want to make sure that Mm -hmm. all of those factors that we don't have in control are in control the best that we can. So we're the same way. We have the timers, we have the humidifier, we have the um, exhaust fan and we have those all going um, synergistically what's needed best. And it changes from plant to plant and crop to crop, especially like it's 40 degrees in the Okanagan, you know, those are things even with a central air you have to take into consideration too. Right. But because we've been doing it for a couple of years, we definitely have an idea of how all those things work together. So depending on your commitment level and your money, if you don't want to do that indoors, you don't have to, but for us, it's just set us up more simply. And now it's just check on them once or twice a day and everything else electronically is, or, you know, mechanically is working better. And like you said, digital, you can have glitches and we've seen it um, where the lights just don't turn off and then you burnt your crop or they don't turn on mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just like moody teenagers. They need their sleep as well as they need their time in the sunshine. So if they don't get it, it can vastly affect your crop, but you know, you can also save them, but 
you know, setting it up yeah. as successfully as you can in an environment will ensure just more, more better. That's such a great word, uh, better results in your, in, through your harvest and your crop. I think we found anyways, but not necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it, and you can get, I think you can have excellent crops in any cultivation system. So it really is about catering to what do you want to do? What do you, do you like having it inside where you have total control over it? Or do you like having it outside where you can be more hands-off? Yeah. And just watch nature do its thing. Exactly. Um, So let's jump into then a bit. So just to sum up life stages, you have your propagation baby stage. um, Then you have your vegetative, which is your growth. You're putting on height. You're putting on width. You're getting bushy. You're putting out strong roots that can last. um, That's typically in a non-auto flowering. So a photo period dependent plant, usually when you have greater than 12 hours of daylight is when you're having that vegetative period. And then once you drop down to having 12 hours of dark per 24 hour period, so you only have 12 hours of light, that's when you're getting that flower development. So you're choosing um, all of your other things kind of around that. If you're outside, you're thinking about your frost date versus when you actually hit 12 hours of daylight. If you're growing inside, you're using the light to, to trigger those light stages. Yeah. All clear on that? Yes, I love it. I love it. Cool. You're so great. Yeah, makes sense. Next step. Clones to propagation. propagation. Yeah. So starting so getting started. That was all kind of big picture. How am I going to approach this? So if you actually want to get going, get started. Your two options, like most plants, you can start with seeds. Um, you can buy seeds uh, legally in Canada now. There are um, here in BC, I know that the the government stores had some seeds available the selection's fairly limited like last time I looked there were not auto flowering feminized seeds available um but there's some options there uh Canada also lists um the government publishes every um licensed producer that has a nursery license um so you could start looking those up um to to look for different seeds and cuttings. So that's kind of the nice thing is that there is this one list of uh, legal options. Um, But starting with, like if you're starting with a seed, um, so the the cannabis seed is actually called an akeen and it's a fairly small seed. And, you know, there's different, probably better ways to do this, but a very simple way you take a paper towel, you moisten it with water, you put the seeds in, you put it in kind of a dark place, you keep an eye on it once a day, just make sure that it doesn't, the paper towel doesn't dry out. And what you're looking for is once you see that little white root, um, it's called a radical sticking out, then once that gets a little bit of length on it, you're ready to, to plug that into some soil or uh, a soil that's grow media and you're, you're germinated. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a pretty moment part. when you open up the yeah. paper and you see the little little roots growing, little, and you see them trying to break out of your shell. You're like, yeah, grow, girl, go. You go, you go, Glencoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing you have to be careful with that is, uh, it is the root that is sticking out, not the shoot. So <laughs> point it down when you plant it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you might never know that otherwise, but that yeah. plant it so that the root is going down to make the plant's life easier. Um, and just be careful that you don't break it off. 
Um, so that's why you want to make sure that those paper towels, they're not sopping wet, but they're moist. Because if they dry out, you have a better chance of breaking that root um, right. right away. And, you know, that's a sad starting point. Yeah, okay. it's like not, that's not how I wanted to start this. Yeah, so that's if you're starting from seed. If you want to start from cutting, so um, lots of herbaceous plants do this. The crazy thing is I didn't know I started doing this in cannabis and then found out you can do it in basil, you can do it in all sorts of other plants. Um, but you just take, when the plant's still in that vegetative stage before it starts growing flowers, if you cut tips of the stems off um, of those branches and then you've... Uh, you can dip the the end of that into a rooting hormone, which you can get at pretty much any cannabis grow shop, and then basically plug that right into your grow media, and it'll start rooting. That's awesome. And, yeah, you there's different ways. Again, your success rate will depend on those little nuances and getting it just right, but very abstract, very, like, high level. Yeah, you can take a branch, cut it to, you know, maybe 10 it, uh, 10 centimeters long, give or take. Um, some people like to, you know, when you get cut flowers and you would have the uh, kind of an angled cut when you put them into the jar of water. If you've done yep. that before at yep. home, Brandy, yeah. Yep. Yep. So that that angle is nice. Um, it just gets a little bit more surface area. Um, and then, yeah, it grows away up. you go. Exactly. So, so both of those are viable ways to get started. So if you know somebody who has plants, you can get cuttings off them. Like you said, you, you've mm -hmm. given cuttings out away yeah. before. Yeah. So that's a great way to get started. And then and pretty it's legal. much, it's legal. And it's, gift, legal. <laughs> it's legal to gift gifts of plants, right? It's so if you, you know, if there's no money exchange in it, it's completely fair to give that to your fellow, you know, like it's like clone it forward, nugget forward. Hey friend, I'm growing this. <laughs> I haven't flipped it yet. You want some clones, you know, because sometimes, and Hey, sometimes you luck out. It's, it's back and forth. And I'm sure we could talk about Hermes in a bit, but sometimes it sucks when you do have a couple of uh, seeds in your plants for whatever but then in the yeah. same sense you're like yes like genetics live on it might not be as strong there might be things to it but sweet you know like this plant I know there's some strains that we've had and that we've had and then all of a sudden the seed just comes out and I'm like oh, at least it's somewhat close <laughs> the little tiny yeah that's gem. awesome that yeah and I it. like starting so the the difference really between starting with seeds and starting with cuttings seeds like I said before can be a 50 50 shot male female Mm -hmm. um, unless they are feminized, um, cuttings, if you're taking it off a female plant should be female. Yeah. So, and circling back. So each seed could be different. My last grow. So I, I had my four auto flowering seeds and when they were treated exactly the same and two of them, when they finished were lime green and the other two were dark purple. <laughs> it's like kids. And you're like, I treat you all the same, but you two turned out good and you two didn't. What happened here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think they're all be good, but yeah, but you get these differences in them. And we talked about last time about phenotypes and that, so I won't get too much into it. But with seed, you can end up with, funnily enough, in this case, all four of them were exactly the same size and shape. It was just the coloring that was different, yeah. um, but you could get different heights. So if you're, say you're growing inside and um, you start with four seeds, you could end up with four plants that want to finish at different times mm -hmm. um, or that are really different heights. 
So that could be frustrating if what you're trying to do is have everything be kind of the same. Um, So that's why people like pettings is that everything should be pretty much identical. They're clones of each other. Um, You might get a little bit of variability, but it should be pretty tight versus seeds. You could get, it depends on, on the breeder of that seed too. I mean, breeders will try and get it so that things are tighter, but cannabis has a lot of plasticity in its genetics. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have cuttings, you're going to have better uniformity. If you have seed, you could end up with males and you could end up with a very different plants. Now, maybe yeah. those plants will be better in some way, which is why I like seed, because then you can find the really good stuff. Um, But if you have something you already like or you have something that a friend already has that they like, then cuttings are nice. And that's where people start to get into having multiple grow tents. That's when you really are getting excited about things um, because then you could have one tent that is in 18 hours all the time. And you keep your your mothers or your nursery happening in there. And these plants stay in vegetative stage. You can take cuttings off them, keep the other tent always in 12 hours of light and then once your uh, plants are big enough and vegged out in that 18 hour tent you can move them into the 12 hour tent to flower and that would be a way to do a kind of a continuous and yeah, like replicate a facility in your own house <laughs> exactly and I've seen people do this and yeah. I I'm really tempted to get myself a second tent <laughs> we do. We have two yeah tents for reasons and okay sometimes, and to another thing to having um um and i'll side note this for for us and our experience is having that extra tent is um so we had uh three plants that were directly from um a really good grower like straight up the genetics it was mandarin sunset and early lemonberry um straight from um uh, ethos genetics they're amazing um and then we also had a bag seed uh that i wasn't really sure where it came from uh had bad genetics and uh started hermiting so we pulled it out of the tent like mm. immediately but also it wasn't hermiting like crazy it was just a little bit so i'm like i don't want to give up this whole plant for a couple of seeds mm-hmm. right because like, it's still going to be good right. and it's still a product or whatever so we pulled it out and put it in the other tent so that the other ones weren't you know there was a, a mild amount of seeds in the other one it wasn't to the like degree that the other one is. So having another tent too, um, and a, it, it ha- helps if you have different genetics, or you're trying different grow ways, or maybe you had one from outside and you're bringing it in and it has, you know, um, like say some, some creatures on it or powdery milk yep. or something. And you've realized then, oh, you just put it in with your good plants, but you still want to keep it inside. You can segregate it. Or like you said, some plants are just ready to go more than others, like, you know, or in different stages. So it is nice to have it. And you stuff on amazon you guys so it's not like you're spending thousands you can get a couple hundred bucks you can get a pretty decent size so you know having that in the back of you don't have to have a perfect one but it is nice to have because sometimes things happen and when you're testing different ways of doing things or different with different genetics in the same plant and same room some shit can happen and you're like we wanted to save the mandarin sunset it tastes like oranges yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> so do you normally start from cuttings brandy or do you prefer, never what's your preference never yes. okay you start yeah, from seeds yeah, we've had a few clones that have worked out for us in the past, but most people when we started growing weren't growing yet. We were very like new to it and one of the first, I think, to do that in our group, maybe just not our group of friends or vocally about it. So most of our stuff were seeds that we got um, either from friends or online. A lot of them that we bought were like, um, what do you call them? Collector items on a collector items from okay. Europe. 
Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there were, and then, then they did start coming in the stores. And one quick thing I'll add to that, which maybe you don't know, but just being in the recreational market, I do know this. So if you go to all the different stores, um, you can look online too, to see what seats they have. So you don't have to actually like waste gas and drive around in this 40 degree weather. You can look online to see what seats they have. Alternatively, you can go directly to the government websites like the BCLDB um, and, per, and see what they have. Because basically you can go to any store, but every store gets to decide what they sell. So if some people aren't interested in carrying seeds, they might just never not get them or they might just get one kind or they might run out. So sometimes you go right to the store source and right to the government one and look up seeds. They will have a lot more in stock because they hold some in their warehouse that they sell directly online. And then they also have their stores. Plus they have private stores that choose what they buy. So even if it might not be, let's just say in one dispensary um, because corporately they decided not to sell, you can still get it delivered to your house through the BC like government uh, cannabis website so that's another thing of course if you're legal age too is if yeah you're not seeing it online you can definitely look there um and uh yeah that's another way to get some seeds but yeah we love it it's like it's watching it from the beginning i think for us and dictating mm. um but that being said if anybody has some wicked dope clones i'm never going to say no to them <laughs> um, yeah yeah but it's usually timing right like the timing that our friends are vegging cool plants it's like when we don't have room for them you know because we don't have time yeah. to have a million we have you know, our legal amount. And so we don't go crazy with it anymore. We did at one point when it wasn't really a thing just to see what we could do. And I was like, well, that was too much energy. (laughs) Well, that's it. And that's, it's so easy to get carried away when the plants are small and they're going to grow. And I have definitely, and it's funny because they will have different sizes. So I've, I've had, I have had fights with my plants before because they wanted to be big, tall plants and I did not have room for big, tall plants. And you can only so, push your oh, up so high. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, thanks for the, yeah, those were great tips about where to get seeds. I just, I love that we're in a situation where, where it's legal and you can access it. So do grow plants. Share. And we're free to share it with each other, you know, like, the thought that it's 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 not legal to make money off of giving someone a piece of your plant. I really love that in a sense. I know some people maybe don't like that idea and that you, you can actually, you can grow your own lab. Like you can have legal, have your own nursery and lab and sell plants and clones. That is a thing. Um, you just have to go through just like uh, growers do that sell it to sell the product. Um, you can't, there are labs here. There's tons of labs where they raise genetics and um, they ship them out to growers and, and all that kind of stuff. And so you can do that on that level. But I think that I love about it is just keeps it as an exchange of energy with fellow gardeners and mm. advocates. And I really love that it's not turning into a financial, greedy, corporate thing, you know, that that part there is still remained for the people to just, just give each other um, you know, it's just like exchanging flowers, like giving succulents to someone and like a yeah. bunch of little chicks, you know, and I, I like that part and I hope it stays that way. Then it just gives it the gardening aspect and the plant aspect just more, hmm, I don't know, validity. Yeah. One thing thing I'd really love to see in the next round of regulations is permission for um, more farm gate nursery. So Mm -hmm. if you, you know, you would go to ArtNap or or any other nursery and pick up your tomatoes, your, your cucumber starts and to be able to go and pick up a started cannabis plant would be so fun. <gasps> that would be so fun. Okay. So since that's not a thing and we're going to work from that. So now we've got it propagated. It's got its roots. We're putting them down. I did not know that I would have stuck it up thinking it's going to grow up. So thank you for that correction. I don't plant them. You guys grant is the plant <laughs> in the home. Um, I take care of them because I love it, but 
um, it's more like his hobby. So it's, he definitely takes care of it more. So that's why I'm really glad that you're on here talking about it more. Cause I'm like, I wouldn't give the best advice. So we got a clone. We've got it in the ground. Um, got it in its yeah, so, temperature. Yeah. So with these ones, um, so when you've got these little babies, so if it came from the seed, we call it a seedling. If it came from a cutting, call it a cutting or a clone. Um, so you want to get it to the point where it's rooted. Um, and so usually you'll start with, so say you were growing this um, in a grow media, and I'm just going to take one little moment to go into grow media. Yes, so please. if you're not putting the seed directly in the soil outside, any other situation, even if you're going to put it outside later, but if you're going to put it, um, if you're going to start with it inside, you're going to need to get something other than garden soil. Garden soil, um, when you bring it inside, there's a couple of problems. One, it can have bugs and diseases in it, which you're just bringing inside and inoculating your indoor grow with. Yeah. Two, it can be, it can hold moisture too well, mm. um, which is not what you want. So typically when I'm starting my plants, I'm going to go get um, a grow media, which is usually called soilless and it's the two that I tend to go to the most is either a peat based or a cocoa coir based so cocoa coir comes from coconut fibers peat oh. comes from peat bogs oh, okay. peat moss you got yeah. it yeah, yeah. Cool. so so both of these are plant-based fi well um yeah plant-based fibers and there are different arguments for pros and cons for either of them um so from environmental standpoint, the peat bogs have to kind of be, you know, they're, they're extracted. Um, so there's some concerns about that. For the coconut, it's almost, it comes from the, the husks of them, but it's imported oh, from okay. Asia because we're obviously not growing the coconuts here. <laughs> no, well, so, I don't know. There's some... Are you sure? Okanagan's pretty hot lately, uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not that I know. I know. But hey, I guess people do exciting things. Right? Um, I feel like it's coming. Oh, geez. Let's get some mangoes going. Yeah, That's please. happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, going. Right. So, so there's kind of pros and cons from those logistic environmental standpoints. But from a growing standpoint, and I use both of these, um, it's mostly a moisture content thing is what you're looking at it for. Um, they will hold moisture differently from each other. A third option is rock wool. Um, which is a, a synthesized product from it's like some spun rock fiber, and it uh, the main brand in the industry is called Grodan. Um, it's not one of my favorite products because it uh, has to be thrown away. Peat and coir are biodegradable, so you could throw them. Um, maybe not in the compost pile, but you you know you I go and honestly I put them in underneath the trees after I'm done with it, but it, yep. it will biodegrade where having to go to the landfill. So um, again, when you're deciding what you want to grow with, you have to just make those decisions about what you like to work with. Totally. Um, but they each will, you can grow a plant in any of the three of those things. You can also just get a pre-made potting mix, um, which will usually be Peter Coir based and then have something like perlite in it, which is what those white fluffy, um, styrofoam looking bits are okay and what they do is, is if you have straight peat um, or straight coir it'll hold on to the water really really well sometimes too well kind of like the garden soil so when they put the perlite in these little white styrofoam bits and you can use other materials but perlite is 
the most popular one. Um, it helps with that moisture retention so that it, it allows it to drain better. Mm. Um, so if you're finding that you're growing, if you're growing in a container in Peter Coir and you're finding it too wet and it's never drying out, you probably need more perlite in there. Um, so a lot of these growing mixes, you can get things that are called high porosity or high drainage or different things like that. So none of these are right or wrong. This, it'll depend on how often do you want to water, how big of a container you're growing in. Um, and then you just have to kind of play with it a little bit. You know, how hot is your environment? Um, but so be willing to treat the three of those grow media a little different from each other. But any of the three of them will work. And that's basically where you go from there. So you have that and all those options. And like you said, the grow media where you have different, depending on probably your budget and, you know, what you can do, you can decide on different ways. It's either that or soil essentially, right? No. So it oh, would sorry. not recommend soil. No. Oh, sorry. So yeah. So no, that's a really important distinction because like I said, the issue with soil is that it's going to hold moisture too well. Ah. So it, Unless you're putting your seed directly in the ground outside, which I actually don't typically do because I like to get my plants a little bit more established than that. And I do the same thing with my tomatoes. I don't direct seed my tomato into the ground either. I, I grow it out a little bit and then I transplant it. Hmm, I see. So that first stage is where I would use a potting mix that was Peter Coir based, or you can use Rockwell if that's your preference. Um, oh, sorry. And then once, yeah, but you just use a little bit. You can also use something like, a Jiffy plug or any of these, like the gardening stores will have, they're clearly for, for starting plants. And they're just yeah. small. It's almost like the size of, um, if you had a, um, an egg curtain, you can almost oh, yes. use that, right? It's, those are a little harder to work with, but even filling that with the potting mix and putting the seeding into that, like there's different options that way. Um, but what you want is to get to the point where that really small unit of grow media, either it's, it's in a tray or it's the pre-made little cubes or the pre-made little pots. Um, when you start to see roots um, forming well and coming out of it, then you would transplant into a bigger container. Um, and every time you transplant a plant, there's a little bit of shock that happens. They don't like being moved around and ripped out of the ground. That doesn't happen in nature. So they really yeah, they don't love it. No. Um, so kind of like if you're like not ready to get out of bed in the morning and someone <laughs> just comes and rips you out. You're like, no, I'm not into No, this. I was cozy. Yeah. So so that there can be stress involved in that. So every time you're transplanting the plant, you want to be, you know, gentle with her and not, not rough her up too much. Um, and then I don't have a perfect system for this. There's going to be people who have grown longer than me that would have better advice on this. But the way that I thread the needle is you start off with my seed. It, I had that little root emerge. So I put it into a, a small little peat pot, no bigger than three inches probably, um, with, or just a little plastic container with drainage holes. And then I fill that with a potting mix. It's probably peat based, but could be something else. And then once I start seeing roots are developing in there and it's looking strong so maybe somewhere between um probably two three weeks yep. um from there then i would transplant it into a bigger container you don't want to transplant it into um a really big container right away 
way usually because you have a very small plant in a very big container. It's difficult to manage the, the moisture and the water mm-hmm. when you're watering it because it hasn't rooted in. So sometimes you do an intermediate step where maybe you want to put it in like an eight inch pot or something, you know, just and something smaller. So, it, but it, yeah, but when you do that, then the trade-off is you're transplanting more often. So that's a little more work. It's a little more transplant shock. So I haven't grown enough to say that this is better or that is better. The two routes that'll go is either a little, the the baby plant goes right away into the big pot, and then you have to be careful about the moisture, mm-hmm. or I put it into an intermediate step, and then I up pot it again, and there's a little bit of risk of transplant shock, but um, I find it easier to manage watering until yeah, that sure. part's rooted. And it's kind of okay. one of those like a subjective lifestyle thing. Like if you don't have, don't think you're going to have time to do it, you know, have that intermediate uh, repot in the middle there, then just go for the big one. But being aware, of, you know, you got a bigger ass pot with a little tiny plant and then you're going to put water in it, being aware of, you know, that there's a lot is of the water going to drain away. Yeah. yeah. And where is it going to yeah. go? That root's going to chase it. But if it's never going to get to water, then it's just going to die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so there's different things there. And then, so choosing the size of the container, if you're not growing directly in the ground, um, I have grown them in one gallon, two gallon, three gallon, five gallon, and 10 gallon containers. Oh, the wow. biggest difference between those choices, so I have successfully grown a plant to flower in all of those. So you can do it in whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> it's a simple fair. answer. <laughs> so if you're not sure, it'll probably work. Is, yeah. uh, it is weed. It wants to grow. It does. Um, the biggest difference between those container sizes is the size of the plant. I would say the one gallon would be the smallest I would ever go. And it's even, I find that a bit small. Um, if you're going to grow in a, in a potting mix, if you're going to get I haven't grown much in hydroponics or aquaponics. So I'm not going to talk about that. Um, I see them do kind of smaller containers, but that's just yeah. a totally different growing system. Yeah. Um, but when you're in that one gallon container, that's a fairly small plant. If you're growing in a 10 gallon container, that's a monster. Yeah. Um, so how circling back to that, how big of a plant do you want? I think my yeah. favorite right now is somewhere between a two and a five gallon. I think I prefer the five gallon um, because I'm a low maintenance grower. That's and right. when you water that five gallon container, it'll hold the moisture longer um, so there's less of it. it. It's, you don't have to water it frequently. It's not going to dry back as suddenly, um, yeah. and totally dry out. So I like that. Another reason is that I prefer to use organic fertilizers. And so the, the kinds of organic fertilizers that I use are usually a powder. And so mm. you would mix that in um, before you transplant. So when I'm preparing my grow media, I'd actually take my fertilizer and mix it all fully in um, and then plant the plant in. And so as the plant grows, there's already nutrition in there. And the bigger the mm-hmm. container is, the more nutrition it can kind of just have on hand. Um, you are going to have to fertilize later again. But I like those bigger containers for having that buffering capacity. They just seem like a little bit less needy to me. Yep, that's fair. <laughs> exactly there's more available yeah, nutrients and, yeah and if it's outside that 10 gallon even better right it gets that bigger root base um you can water it less frequently you can get that really big tree 
if that's what you're going for. Totally. So I like all of those, but I've done the two gallons. Um, they're a bit small for me, but definitely works. The one gallon, quite small, have done it, have finished plants in it. They were great, but it was a bit small for the way that I like to grow. So I lean towards some of those bigger container sizes. And then um, to follow that with the irrigation, when I'm mm -hmm. growing in a container like that, the, the way that I approach it um, is basically I water until you're getting something like a 10%, 15% leachate. So when you start to see water come out the bottom. So if you have any of these containers, it's absolutely critical that you have holes in them. Yes. Um, so that the water can drain away. Do not plant it into something that's fully solid on the bottom. Um, because then water pools in the bottom and the roots, when you have all that water in the bottom of the container, there's not enough oxygen available in the root zone and you can get rot and you can get disease and it's not a good time. So make sure that you do have holes in the bottom of your container so that the water can freely drain away. That's one of the things that people like about the, the rock wool cubes is that they can drain fully away because you don't even need a container. Yeah. Um, so the, those are all kind of options there. But yeah, basically water until you see a little bit of water coming out the bottom, you effectively can't overwater the plant. So if you're having water gushing out the bottom, that's fine for the plant. Um, it might make a mess in your grow tent. Yeah. So <laughs> the waste of water. That's where, <laughs> exactly, you might be wasting a bit of water, wasting a bit of nutrient. But um, basically that's where you want to. And then you let it, you don't water it again until it's dried back a little bit. So I wait until I see, you know, the top layer is starting to dry out a little bit. And then I go again. So you can't overwater it, but you don't want it sitting in a soggy puddle all the time. Think of the roots as just to personify cannabis a little bit. You don't like going to bed with your feet wet. Yeah. So the plant cannabis doesn't, doesn't like it either. Yeah. And so it, yeah. if you have too much in, like, or say you didn't realize, you know, the surface looks a little dry, but it's like a little bit wetter below the surface and you put a little bit in when you have the holes, it goes away, it's gone. You're not going to drown it or put it at risk of having that root rot. And it's just sitting there because the sun's not directly at the bottom of that plant either. It's not going to dry up as fast as the top layers. So it exactly. can just sit there and fester. And it's like you said, it's not good for anybody. Just like you wouldn't want soggy feet. It doesn't want to have soggy roots either. Yeah. And people, you can get as specific with this as you want. You can get moisture meters and tensiometers and things like that. You can also get a really good grow out of simply watering it like this, where you see water pour out and then you don't water it again until it's dried out a fair bit, right? Yes. Not dry out, but you, maybe the, you stick your finger in to the first knuckle and you're still hitting some moisture, but the very top is a bit dry. And you're using it like that. But if you're seeing that your leaves are wilting because they're too dry, then obviously you need to water more often. But they'll also kind of droop if, if they're over wet. So yeah. and to our paying roots, attention that way. And you want the roots a little bit. And I correct me if I'm wrong. This is just an understanding. But you want some. You don't want to always be watering it too, too much, too, because you want the roots to be able to search a little bit in the soil and expand a little bit, right? Just so they're – is that uh, – No, right? I – I, no? I'd, I'd water it till you've got water pouring out the bottom and then okay. let it dry back a bit. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, that's totally fair. Um, I just heard like if you're doing it too much, it's not encouraging the roots to search a little bit. So if you're overwatering it, which yeah, it'll fall out the bottom, but 
just fair. That's one something I heard, but it's good to know what's true or what's not. <laughs> yeah. And with that, when I'm transplanting, um, this is true of, of lots of other crops too, where I don't often, I, I won't water the, the baby just as I'm transplanting it, but mm-hmm. I'll water the, the, when I'm getting that container ready and I've got my fertilizer mixed in and it's all soaked and ready and not to, so if you were to take a handful of it and squeeze, you shouldn't have it water gushing out, but it is, mm-hmm. it's nice and thoroughly damp. Um, when you put the plant in there, because I haven't, I haven't recently watered that plant, that's where I'm seeing it want to reach into that new moist environment. Mm, um, versus if I had just soaked it, it'd be like, well, I'm good. I don't need to, to push out. That's totally fair. Oh, I love mm-hmm. that. I love learning so much stuff. So many things. Okay. So we've got it planted. It's doing its thing. It's growing. It's a teenager. This yeah. So let's talk clones. nutrients. Yeah. What do we Keeping that, that teenager fed? Yeah. Get that teenager not cranky because he's hungry. Yeah. Um, so nutrients, there's different ways you can go. Um, I said you have the organic, not organic option. You have liquid feed versus um, where you're literally buying a container and it, it's already in the liquid and you would add it to water. Mm-hmm. And then you can add, um, basically you're feeding the plant when you're watering it that way. Yeah. We've grown like that. You can get really good results that way. Um, if you're going to go the fully organic route, um, where there it's being um, some of the, a lot of the brands that I see, it's a powder that's incorporated in, and then it, it'll say, you know, don't feed again for a month. So then you have to top dress it with the powder and kind of mix it into the soil and water it down. So mm-hmm. the big difference that I see with those two different options, if you're going with the liquid feeds, um, it means that you're feeding it all the time, um, which allows you to kind of keep on top of things and adjust quickly. Um, and the plant's always being fed. If you're going with the organic option where it's incorporated and you're only feeding it, you know, once a month or every three weeks or something, um, it's possible that the plant gets hungry in the middle there um, because you're not, because you're not feeding it. So regularly, it might be a little bit harder to, to figure out, Mm -hmm. but I, I like that option because again, I like a hands-off approach. My partner really likes the liquid feed because he's just like, yep, I just feed them every time I water them. And that keeps them happy. So I've tried both ways. Both ways work. Um, the pros and cons being just how do you want to be feeding them all the time or do you want to be feeding them periodically? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're watching the plant to make sure that they're getting what they need. Um, but like I said, my last crop where I did it like that, I did it pretty hands off. I was actually a little scared that I was going to starve them. <laughs> and then when I had those two plants turn kind of lime green yellow, like, oh, no, I went too far. They're hungry. But then the other two were fine. So exactly. It's you can get really picky about it. You can be checking the ECs and checking the pHs. And those are all good tools to to help refine it. Um, but again, the plant, cannabis is a fairly heavy feeder. So it definitely does need to be fed. I have, when I was early, early on, grown plants outside in the ground, and I didn't feed them for the entire season. Not something I'd recommend, but guess what? They flowered and I smoked it, and it was good. Exactly, and it worked. (laughs) It wasn't It worked. (laughs) So you can get... 
I was gonna say, sorry, when would you start introducing those nutrients? Yeah. At the veg so, stage? Yeah, the, so the most common people in the propagation stage, anytime you've got a baby plant, you don't need to over um, usually what's in the grow media is enough and if you're going to give them anything it's just make it super dilute in water but then yeah once you've got them well rooted and you're in that veg stage where they're growing a lot of the, the pre-made fertilizers are going to be higher in nitrogen for this stage and they'll, they'll often the easy thing to do is to go into a grow shop and pick something that's advertised for the vegetative stage of the grow and you'll notice that these tend to be higher in nitrogen. Um, and then the ones that are advertising more for the bloom or the flowering stage tend to be higher in phosphorus. So the plant needs both of those nutrients to grow. Um, they also need potassium, which will be in smaller amounts. And they also need um, trace nutrients, so things like magnesium, um, calcium, all of these little micronutrients. Um, so a lot of these, um, the pre-made fertilizers, you know, they... Because cannabis is new, the, the products have not necessarily been tested on cannabis, even if they're advertised for it or haven't necessarily been tested at a large scale. Mm-hmm. Um, that's some of the work that I actually do is test products for cannabis on cannabis to make sure yep. that the, the claims actually are accurate. Yep. I would say that a lot of the products that are currently on the market, will have, if they've had some testing, it'll have been limited. But my general experience is that a lot of them do work. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it just becomes that fine tuning, like we've said before. But if you're the beginner gardener, if you pick something that, that's advertised for veg, you're going to use that in the early part of the life stage before they start flowering. It's going to be high in nitrogen. And then you can switch to something that's advertised for bloom. It's going to be higher in uh, phosphorus once you actually got that flowering part of the plant. Perfect. And then that's not, isn't that something you do the, its entire life or do you uh, tone it down towards its life cycle at the end? Yeah, yeah, a lot of people like to do a flush at the end of the life cycle. So that would be if you were doing a liquid feed, um, basically, you would stop giving it food in that last week of its life and just be uh, just giving it water. If you're doing it with those organic nutrients that are incorporated, there's not really a way to flush it out. Mm -hmm. Um, I have yet to see super convincing research that says that flushing is absolutely necessary or absolutely not necessary. A lot of people do it. Um, When I was using liquid nutrient feed, I was flushing just because it's the thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not entirely convinced. Um, I'm not entirely convinced on it one way or the other. And depending on, yeah, if you, if you are in that organic system, then you're probably not flushing them out. Yeah. And that's something we definitely do. And we've both, I think, came to the same agreement of which we haven't found really one way or the other. I think it's just personal preference um, Mm -hmm. to what's yours and what you're using. And, you know, for me, sounds good to me, pull it the last month, give it just water. Like, you know, I don't think it's good or bad if you don't, Um, you know, I freak out about something. So I'm like, yeah, cool. Like, just have some water last week makes sense. But I, I think we've done it before where we haven't, or it was a couple days and it wasn't a big deal. We've done things to like ice cubes and <laughs> things like that. And it's all fun experiments that you try to see for yourself if that makes a difference in, in what you're doing. Right. So that's, and yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that you've heard, like, there's not confirm or deny. It's kind of, again, a subjective thing, what you want to do if you don't have time to do it. Or, you know, like you said, if you do organic, then whatever it's organic. So it shouldn't, 
And even if you're doing the liquid, if you don't do it, I don't think that I've noticed too much of a difference, but in the same sense, sometimes something's off and you're like, okay, that has to be because they didn't flush it. And you're like, oh, but does that matter? I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Subjective. Yeah. And I, it is. And I mean, from a practical standpoint for the home grower, if you're flushing it in the last week or two, you're saving yourself a little bit of nutrient yeah. cost there too. Money. Um, I really don't think it's going to hurt the plant. I don't think it's going to stump the plant to do that. Um, whether or not it, you know, the, the story is that you'll get white bud when you smoke it. If it, if the nutrient has been flushed out, um, I don't entirely follow the the logic on that one. And I suspect I've, I've heard the contrasting statement that if you're getting that white ash, it's because you've had complete combustion of the joint. I, you finished allowing it to totally burn down. Mm. Um, whether it actually relates back to the nutrient profile, I have not seen convincing yeah, that's, data on. That does not um, mean it's not true. Just no, means I haven't true. seen it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's something I've tried to deter for myself because, you know, when we're smoking at home, that's, you know, when, if you're just going on like a high level where you don't jump into it and that's what you hear, you know, oh, it's dark ash, you know, definitely wasn't flushed. And, but I think sometimes it, it comes down to, uh, a lot of things like the curing process and all that kind of jazz and not necessarily just the, the nutrients. I think it probably has a lot to do with a couple of things that could be put together because you can smoke, you know, get a strain and we know this, you can buy, let's say two of the exact same from the same grower and they could taste differently, right? Because one was mm-hmm. through this one harvest and one was in a different harvest, you know, oh, the cure time was, you know, there's so many different factors. Um, but I think it's subjective too, because I could taste something that in a joint that you don't taste or vice versa, right? So it's like, to me, maybe it seems more chemically, but you're like, oh, I don't notice that at all. <laughs> is it something in the process or is it just like our own perception and our flavonoids and taste profiles in our own mind and experience too? So it's hard to like point yeah. that at something when it's such a unique experience to each person. Yeah, I need to get an R&D license and then do some some proper blind testing. <laughs> I like it. I volunteer as tribute. I love it. So then... <laughs> Uh, preference all right so let's let's summarize but yeah let's summarize all that out so like I said the the point of this discussion is for the beginner gardener not the advanced grower so (laughs) let's just keep things nice and simple your options if you're not if you are not growing outside in the dirt and you're going to grow in a container don't use the outdoor soil use a probably a pre-made potting mix or you can make your own but usually it's going to be based out of peat moss or coconut coir and then you might add some perlite in there to help the drainage. Um, if you're finding that it's not holding on to water well enough, you can add vermiculite. That'll help keep it wetter um, if that's what you need. And you can put those in pretty well any size container you want. When you're starting with that cutting or that seedling, you're going to start in something really small, probably no bigger than a three-inch uh, peat pot or a jiffy plug or something really small. And then you can transplant it once it's well rooted into anywhere from a one gallon to a 10 gallon container will definitely work. I, I prefer three to five gallons just for making it easy, not having to water it constantly. Um, and then for your nutrient feeds, the, the easiest way to go is to go into a grow shop and get something that is for the veg period with a high nitrogen. And that for the early part of the life cycle, um, you don't give the baby plant too, too much. Um, but then once you start getting into that bloom period where you have the flowers, 
we're going to switch into something that's a bit higher in phosphorus. And throughout, um, they can definitely have deficiencies in micronutrients. There are products for that. Um, there's lots of like little things that you can put, but the plant will survive off that very simple nutrient profile. And you can stop feeding, you know, feed it according to the directions on the bottle. And if you're overfeeding it, you're just kind of aware that you're probably wasting nutrients. They're going to, they're going to wash away effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're underfeeding it, it might not get as much yield out as you want. So and I like see- to start just follow the label. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way. And to, to kind of point that out, and obviously there's a bunch of different ones that you have to do research, but you'll be able to see the nutrient deficiencies in the leaves, right? That would be a place that would indicate sometimes, sometimes it's like just nature of it changing colors, but is it fair to say that that will give you an indication if it's over or under nutrient, nutrient-ed? Sure. Yeah, yeah, fed, or we'll just say under fed. over fed. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I mentioned before water, most people are familiar. If you see a plant wilting, you know that it's thirsty yeah. and it needs to be topped up. Again, it can also wilt for other reasons, including being overwatered. If, if it's soggy, don't keep watering it. That's not the problem. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, for nutrient deficiencies. Yeah. The, the most common ones. So if you're seeing a lot of yellowing leaves, especially towards the bottom, like that's to some extent, that's natural. You're going to get some, the, the newest leaves are at the top of the plant. The oldest leaves are at the bottom. And so you think of those as little solar panels and the plant is like, I've got new ones. I don't need these old ones. So I'm not maintaining <laughs> them. So you'll get some yellowing leaves at the bottom. That's okay. You can just pick those off, throw them away, throw them in the compost. Um, but if you're getting a lot of yellowing, especially towards the bottom of the plant, you might be low in nitrogen. Um, so that would be something to be looking for. Um, if if the, I've seen people describe the, the nitrogen, um, too much nitrogen is getting really dark green leaves. I mm. haven't seen that enough to say that that's the case. But yeah, if you're getting a lot of yellowing towards the bottom, then they're probably overhung, like they're getting hungry. Yeah, that's fair. They're wilting. Baby. They're wilting. They're sad. And then, too- um, and then one last thought on, on light. Yes. So kind of like crash course and lighting technology. So you can use, um kind of like the t5 fluorescence um for for starting your propagation um you'll want to have those lights fairly close and you'll find if the light is too dim or too far from the plant that you get stretching so the mm-hmm. ceiling just gets really really long stem on it as opposed to being like short and fat and we often like the short and fat yep. um especially for indoor growing um other than that you have leds versus hps they both work um the major difference is the HPS be hotter. They put more heat into your growing environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll have to compensate with that with your extraction fan and your heating. Um, if you have a space heater, if you have a humidifier versus an LED would be cooler. But if you have a high end LED, like I said, I was surprised when I, when I scaled up from two inexpensive LEDs to one fairly expensive LED, it was a lot, lot hotter. So, it's not that they don't produce any heat. It's just less than an HPS. Mm. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, and we, we mentioned in terms of safety stuff, you should always be mounting um, the light fixtures and the, um, the outlets for them up high because you're watering. Water goes down. So keep your yes. electricity away from your water. It's a simple okay. thing, but it, it's important. Um, yep. 
I'm having space so keep the, keep those the things separate roof of the tent yeah and your light get some air flowage in there because there's a lot of heat coming from like they're obviously safety featured too but you know that's the thing like you said about growing you can only raise your light so high before there's no you want to make sure that there's going to be enough room between your light and your top of your cola from and also from the top of that little equipment there that little motor essentially and so it has just like anything else room to breathe and flow air around if you have less space and it's really hot in there like it can cause things yeah you need a gap between the top of the light and the top of the tent and a gap between the bottom of the light and the top of the plant yeah so keeping those in mind (laughs) yeah you don't want to be vegging for for stuff at like six to eight weeks because that thing is just going to out like you know there's there's those things you have to keep in mind that I, I don't think we would have thought of at, initially at first when we started growing. It was just like, oh, do it. And then it's like, oh, my God, this thing is so tall already. Shit. Yeah. 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 That definitely monster. happens. Ah. And then also with the lights, too, with the LEDs. So I'm I'm partial to LEDs myself. That's what I grow under. That's what I like. And I have played early on. The LEDs were coming out with lots of blues and reds in them. And you get that blurple in mm-hmm. all the photos. Versus mm-hmm. the HPS, you can tell you're looking in an HPS room when the picture looks orange, kind of yeah. orangey yellow. Yeah. If it looks kind of like a blue red blurple, it's probably one of those those LEDs. Or if it's straight white, those are some of these newer LEDs are coming out with more of a, a white spectrum. Um, and those are really my favorites. I like the white LEDs because the reds and the blues, yes, you can change the shape of a plant, a cannabis plant, by applying more blue light and more red light. And so people have done that in the past. Um, I find it kind of confusing for the new grower and the results can be variable. Mm-hmm. If you have that white spectrum light, you can use it for the entire grow. You don't have to worry about changing it when you trigger into bloom. Um, and I find it's easier to work under a white light. It's easier to see deficiencies or see if your leaf color is changing. It's easier to see bugs. Um, so I'm a big fan of, of more of the white ones um, yes. and you get a good grow under them. So but there are, the but any of those things will work. True. <laughs> and it's so funny as like a photographer, as soon as you have the uh, HPS, yeah, the, you're just like immediately Ugh. like, I hate this because it's just putting hate, on yeah. such a terrible and it doesn't show how beautiful and how green and it doesn't give uh, like justice as a photographer, not as like a grow perspective, just as a light, but yeah. Most of the stuff we've posted recently too has been with the uh, red and blue spectrum. So you're getting this like really beautiful violent, like violent, like violet colors that are like pink and purple against that green of the plant and the trichomes is such a beautiful sight. I will say that I love the colors that come out of those photos. Um, But I Mm. agree that too, though, is with the white, you um, really get to see it. Uh, in so much uh, more detail than I find just by looking at it. And obviously, as a photographer's point of view, it just gives you way better (laughs) view of the product in front of you. And also when you're looking, you know, at the end, we definitely are looking to see where it's at and if it's ready to be cropped. Um, So having that white light to give better viewing to where it's at. English words are not my friend today. Um, But yeah, I, I agree. I like the white for sure. And it's just so crisp. Yeah, but any of those things will work. I have grown under all of those. I have even grown under ceramic metal halides. The yield is a little different, um, but most of the lights will work. So I would choose based on the budget, mm-hmm. based on how much yield you want to get out of it, 
the less expensive LED lights on Amazon. That's how I started. It'll mm-hmm. definitely work all the way up into um, any of the major brands have, are putting out really nice LEDs. You have your traditional HPSs. Um, so yeah, you get to decide kind of, do you want to accommodate the temperature of the HPS? If you're, if you're constantly growing in a really hot environment, I would think that the HPS would be difficult to grow without an air conditioner. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. something to consider. LEDs are a little bit cooler, but it's same token. If you're growing in a cooler climate, you're growing in the winter, um, even though you're indoors, you are more likely going to need to add a heater. Yeah, so. that's totally fair. And especially like, yeah, where you are versus where I am in the dead heat and yours, yeah. well, like you're not dead heat, but you definitely have that you know, cooler aspect. So our basements would be completely two different spaces, even though in the same, close to the same area too. Right. But yeah, that's super yep. important. Um, can you also touch a little bit? Um, that's perfect for lights. Cause that's something we get asked all the time and we agree. We started with Amazon and we've ventured off, done different things. Um, but it's, it's really something that's easy, easy. And you can start off cheap just to get started. And then you learn and you grow and, you know, you sell that light to another new grower and then you buy your next one. And that's kind of how we, yeah. Kind of yeah, or borrow there. lights yeah. if, if you're lucky. Like I got lucky, and I had some friends that had um, it was kind of the traveling light because he had upgraded, and so I borrowed that light, and then I upgraded, so I gave it back to him, and he passed it on to another grower, and just it's kind of the, the beginner light. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Um, and we did talk about it briefly, but not much. But um, there's two other things that if we can quickly um, talk on before we get off today, um, two things. So first thing, um, any sort of cultivation tips during the plant life um, when it comes to any sort of, you know, like, should people be plucking the leaves? Should they be or should they just let them live, feed them? Is there any other little cultivation tips you have to help with uh, new home growers? Yeah, so the two cultivation Basin techniques that you're probably going to do are going to be pruning and defoliating. So pruning is you're actually cutting off limbs or branches. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever grown tomatoes, that it's a common thing to do with them. And what you're doing is shaping the plant. So um, people have gone, you, you have anything on the option of don't touch your plant at all. Don't prune it. Don't take any leaves off. That's one way to go. You can also go all the way to the far end of the spectrum. I've seen people bonsai their plants. I've seen people lollipop their plants. So you're basically cutting off most of the lower limbs. And so you you don't have any side branches almost on the plant. And the flowers are all forming on just that main stem. Um, Versus if you don't do any pruning at all, you're going to get tons of side branches. And so you're going to get the flowers. They're going to get spread out across those branches. And so what that does, your decision between those extremes anywhere in that middle is how big of a flower inflorescence do you want? So do you want that giant cola? In which case, cutting off some of those side branches means that there's fewer places, uh, there's fewer sites on the plant to actually produce flower. So it invests that energy into the few spots that are left. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where you would get that heavily pruned plant. Personally, I like to grow for extraction and grow. We've talked about this before. I have a rosin press. Mm -hmm. So I actually don't prune my plants back too heavily because those giant colas don't fit well on my rosin press. So Mm -hmm. that doesn't actually give me any advantage um, versus having more branches with lots of flowers on them, but they're not as big of a bud. Um, 
those fit well into my extraction press. And I've, the THC can go either way on that. Um, so it's, it's not that the lollipop plants necessarily have a higher THC either. Um, there's too many factors in there to say that one style or the other is going to give you better THC. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it has to do with what do you want to do with the flowers? Do you want to have that big giant cola that you can brag about to your friends? And I've <laughs> yeah. done that before. You know, yes. you take the picture with the ruler in the photo. Like, Look how big it is. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah exactly. <laughs> um, or, you know, you ha- leave more bud sites and it's less work because you're not pruning. As, right. But if you're going to prune, um, you don't have to go too crazy with it. I've seen it done like kind of like once when it's early in veg and then like once when it's not too far into flowering um, is one way to go. Um, another way when we're talking about those, those nursery plants um, mm-hmm. for your mothers mm-hmm. that we're keeping them in veg, people will top them. So um, pinching, which is done in other crop plants is you basically just take, you do it in basil and in peppers um, where you basically pinch the, the very top of the main stem off. And then it means that the two branches that are coming out from either side of that become dominant, co-dominant. So you have two big branches instead of one. And then if you did it again, you could have four. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was something that a lot of people do for their mothers to have more sites to cut cuttings awesome. off of for yep. more babies. Um, however, you can also do it, um, just for your regular production plants and people were doing this, I think really early into the four plant phase, Mm -hmm. like, Hey, well, if I'm only allowed four plants, I'm going to top them so that each of those plants has four main stems, um, (laughs) and I prune off below that. And so then it looks like I have 16 plants in here, but I only have four. Because it's all rooting out from the one initial stem. That's clever. I like that. Right. So there's different ways. Shaping the plant will definitely change how you get the flowers on it. And the best analogy, even though I, I don't always like comparing it tomato, to tomatoes, but I do think it's the best analogy in this case, yep. because you can see it on there. If, do you want the bushy one with lots of little flowers or little tomatoes on it? Or do you want, you know, fewer big ones? Um, and yep. that's how you'll decide. But I wouldn't prune too far into flowering this is something that's done earlier in the life than later yeah so you can do it once it has started flowering but I wouldn't go like too 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 late and then setting it up up to grow its flower in a better spot so you want to kind of set it up when it's at the beginning to set it up to then grow into how you want it to whether it's lollipopping or bonsaiing it or moving it and that's what grand does he'll he'll move as they're growing as babies, he'll start clipping them together to start moving them out so that we have the same thing where these lots of colas, but they're spread out. So they're getting as much light as possible. Exactly. Yep. And so that's another thing that's done is training the plant. Mm-hmm. So using um, like a trellis netting or mm-hmm. tomato cages or just pieces of string. And yeah, try to open up that canopy mm-hmm. so that more of the plant has uh, exposure to light. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have too many, and I've, I've made this mistake of having <laughs> too many branches in the grow room and you're like, I have no more room to spread out sideways and I have no more room to grow up. It's like, just a monster. I have jungle in here. Yeah. Um, so you have to be mindful of that. Yeah. Um, Over manipulation. And that's where pr- 
Yeah, exactly. But that's where pruning can, you know, you you can shape the plants to fit the, the area that you have, but you definitely, um, it, it is helpful to open up that canopy however you can so that you get better light penetrance. Yeah. And, um, and the then same. the last, sorry, go ahead. So and that would be the same idea with the like defoliation, right? Is just kind of removing some of those um, use, not useless, but not as useful, especially probably towards the end. I don't know, for us, we like to take off more um, before we get to that dry cure space because then it's just more trimming after the fact. That's a personal choice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so defoliating or removing leaves. Um, I have seen so many different variants on this. And so the, the basic principle is um, if you have leaves at the bottom, like I said before, that are just naturally dying off and they're turning yellow and they would kind of naturally fall off anyways, mm-hmm. you can take those off. If you're seeing leaves that are getting yellow or they're getting brown, take those off, get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I know that it's common practice to do some big scale defoliation. Um, during the life cycle where you're actually just stripping the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, I have also read that that's not a good practice. So that's something okay. that I actually want to play with a little bit more. I was, I was in anticipation of this, this chat, I was looking into it more I'm like, Oh, okay. Now I have to try that because yeah. <laughs> I've been defaulting to, to stripping my plants at different ages. And like you take a certain number of leaves off at this age and then you wait and then you take some more leaves off. Um, but there are definitely some some authors in the cannabis space that I respect. They're like, leave it alone. Don't take off. If it's a healthy green leaf, leave it alone. Yeah. But the thought process is the same as the pruning. You're trying to get the plant to invest its energy in the flowers. So yeah. it's like, oh, you don't need this leaf. I'll take it off and you can invest in your flowers. Or this leaf is shading this other, this flower. And so I want it out of the way. And I think this author's thought process was you're damaging the plant. So the plant has to recover every time you damage it. Mm. Um, so, so that's something to play with. If you feel like being a lazy grower, maybe don't defoliate unless um, those leaves are naturally dying. Except to the, your point, um, right before you harvest, it yeah. is a really great idea to strip. <laughs> There's two different kinds of leaves on the, the cannabis plant. So you have the, the fan leaves, which are the big ones that you see on flags and t-shirts and things. And there's yeah. those, those really big, beautiful leaves. Yeah. Um, so right before you harvest or even a week before you harvest any in that point in that time, you can start stripping all of those great big fan leaves off. Yeah. And they won't have um, very many trichomes on them. So those, that, sugar those beautiful crystals that cover the surface of the flowers um, and that's the where the THC is these fan leaves have very very little on them and you don't want to smoke them so to your point if you don't get rid of them before you harvest it just means a lot of trimming later (laughs) yeah (laughs) so strip all those up a week before harvest give or take is fine Um, and then the other leaves that are on the plant people call them sugar leaves uh, this, the botanical term is inflorescence leaf because it's growing a cluster of flowers is called an inflorescence. So what we usually call a cola or a bud is an inflorescence. And you get these little leaves that grow out of it. Mm-hmm. And they are more difficult to remove. They do have trichomes on them. Um, and so those are, 
I would more often leave, I would strip all the fan leaves and I would leave more of the, those sugar or inflorescence leaves mm-hmm. until the trim stage. And then in the trim stage, you could remove them. But if you're growing at home, I would encourage you to keep your trim and use it to make butter or a topic like something like that, because yep. there is THC on those sugar leaves. It's not all garbage. No, um, it'll be a lower concentration than your flour, but yeah. you went to the level. effort of growing it. Yeah. And at an edible level, so, I mean, it's probably a lot more potent than you, than you would need. Like, I don't know, for me personally, I don't need as much edibles to feel it. <laughs> I guess it just depends on what spectrum, but yeah, like you said, use every part of the plant and even the stalks. Yeah. Waste not. Some people use the stock for, I believe tea. So I would think, so tea is something I really, really want to get into. Yes. This, so we'll put more on something I know enough. Of, yeah, yeah. I would think I've you would heard. make it out of less, the stem really wouldn't have very much cannabinoid value yeah. to it. I thought someone said um, So I don't know about, yeah, the stem I usually think of as being used for fiber, but that doesn't mm. mean people haven't used it. True. Um, but, the tr- but the trim fraction um, has a lower THC than the flower that you're smoking People like to remove it because it takes out, because there's more chlorophyll and there's just, you know, all of this extra plant material. Mm. So people like to shave it off and trim it off after you harvest and dry um, for the flavor of it and just keeping that concentration higher. Yeah. But yeah, you do not need to throw it away. Throw it in the freezer if you need to make a big batch of butter or something. Use it all. Oh my goodness. So yeah. we're rounding up to our two hours now, love. If, uh, with our last 10 minutes, is there anything else that you want to bring up today about um, growing? We've, you've covered so much. It's so great. But is there anything high level that we didn't talk about today that you want to say in the last little bit here? Yeah, I just want to make a note on pest management and sanitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we talked, especially because we talked a lot about inside, outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so anytime you come in from out, outside or a plant comes in from outside, you are risking bringing in pests and pathogens. So it's a good idea before you go into your grow tent to change your clothes, um, wash your hands, put, tie your hair back, put a bandana on as a minimum. If you want to get fancy about it, you can wear gloves and a hairnet and all that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, but do try to have a general level of sanitation. And same thing applies for all of your tools. If you're pruning or defoliating or cutting clones, wash your tools. Um, 70% isopropyl alcohol will work. There are other things, um, lots of products on the market that will work, but for the home grower, IPA works just fine. Um, and so it's good to just, yeah, wash your tools. Um, if you have a plant where you think there might be something wrong with it, especially being mindful about touching it and then touching another plant. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're seeing some of the common pathogens on cannabis are things like uh, powdery mildew. So that's um, white circles on the leaves. Um, mm-hmm. They're filled in. And um, if you see that, you want to get those, those leaves out of there, but you especially don't want to touch that leaf and then touch a clean leaf because you can transfer it over. Yeah. Um, Learned that. You get... Yeah, you get different root molds, so things like botrytis. Um, so you get brown molds and gray molds, and th- those tend to start in the root zone if you're overwatering. Um, and by overwatering, I mean not letting it dry out between watering and watering again. Mm-hmm. It's not about how much water you put on, but it's about in between. Yep. Um, but if you're keeping it constantly soaking wet, um, you can get those 
issues down to the roots. And then you can, the, the flower head itself will turn kind of gray or brown um, just before harvest. And it's really, really sad. And don't smoke that. No, Get rid bud of it. Bud rot. Yeah. Bleh, yeah. Bleh. And it's yeah. at the end and you're like, oh my God, I was so close. And that's happened to us. We had it our first outdoor and we got one got powdery mildew and all of a sudden they're the rot in the bud. I was like, damn it. Yeah. And, and those are fungus. So you have to think that their spores are airborne. Mm -hmm. They can move around. So yep. if you have an issue, you got to try and keep it contained, like even like put a bag over it before you cut it down and pull it out so that it doesn't mm -hmm. just shake its spores all on everything else that's in there. Um, yep. So yeah, so managing your humidity, managing your water content, those are really important for preventing these things and just mm -hmm. managing coming in and out of your grow space or if you're outdoor in the grow tent or sorry another pest um outside especially is aphids mm -hmm. aphids like cannabis but there's a special cannabis aphid and they're basically born pregnant so <laughs> one aphid is too many yeah and they're get hard rid to of them. get rid of a little bit once they start spreading right like they can is it fair to well, say that, that's because pregnant? yeah they exactly lose. so if you have one it can it's good. It doesn't need yeah. to mate. So no. it's good to it's go. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. That's fair. And they get out of control. So, if you're outside, you can't really control that as much, but indoors, at least, you know, once it's inside, you want to contain it, but at least it's not like the outdoor elements are constantly moving things around. At least, you know, if you have two plants, you can try to contain it to two tents. You can try to contain it to one, but deal with it like ASAP. Yeah. That's it. If you see an aphid, this is a deal with it ASAP situation. Because yeah. um, one is too many. If you're outside or inside, um, even just spraying them off, like from a hose or something. Um, one thing that I would say with if you're dealing with pests and pathogens, try not to spray pesticides on a flowering plant, because mm -hmm. you have to think those flowers are really porous, and you're going to smoke it. Yeah, that's very so smart. If you yeah. can try not to spray pesticides on your plant once it's flowering. There are some different insecticidal soaps and things like that that work decently on the leaves earlier in the life cycle. Unfortunately, a lot of the pathogens show up late and yeah. there's not a lot of great options. Um, but I just ask people to be mindful of you're going to smoke this. Think about what you're putting on it. Yeah, putting on it, put it in it, the love that you have for it. And that all makes a difference when it comes to you. And I think... Um, We've learned so much today, Sarah. Thank you so much. I could have another three hours with you on here, um, but obviously we don't have the time to, but I really hope this instills a lot of people and seeing it as it's a uh, plant aspect and, and growing it really is another fun adventure, just like learning how to consume what's good for you medically, recreationally, um, but learning this plant and having the respect of how wild and cool and crazy it is and all the different ways that you can cultivate it, prune it make it work for you um, and to produce either a medicine, a fun time, a sustainable product. And you can also add your vegetables in it. Like it's just, it's so incredible. And we could probably spend hours on like the dry cure process, but let's get people started and putting plants in the ground, asking questions and start seeing it as the magical plant that it is. It is. And I just want to quote uh, Ed Rosenthal. I love, he said, consuming cannabis isn't addictive, but growing it is. Yes. So, oh, fair yeah. warning. That's fair. Yeah. It's just like for like a, like a tattoo. And that I think that was like for Grant is like he did it once. And then and it's like and not every time you're going to feel the most successful at it. But you got to keep trying. And like you said, document, 
ask people questions, research it, and don't give up on it because it's such a rewarding mm-hmm. thing to do for yourself or someone you love. Like the fact that Grant can provide me my medicine to me is like the coolest thing about one of the coolest things about us is he doesn't have any desire to consume it himself, but he knows how much it means to me and how much it saves money. And he generally loves the gardening aspect of it. So, you know, it can really be a fun thing for family relationship, like, and bring it back to, it's not the devil's lettuce. Um, and it is just a beautiful, cool plant. And I really thank you for all the work that you've done in the industry. Um, all of that how much you've taught me you're teaching the community the time you take for us and the research that you did up until this point so thank you so much again um i'm we're gonna have cannabis as another month because it honestly was one of the most popular months we've had so i look forward to jumping into more maybe in a couple months and we, we can do a little bit more research and really blow everybody's minds not that we haven't already um but yeah how was your second time here enjoy it oh yeah i had lots of fun and uh the big emphasis for today is that we were definitely focusing on on beginners, but you can there are so many resources available online. So if you're interested at all, feel free to dive into it and just enjoy growing. Thanks so much for having me, Brandy. Yeah, thank you so much. So I'm going to sign off the show today, guys. This is unfortunately for now. We're going to put a pin in cannabis. Our last episode on that, we're going to jump into a new topic next month. But it's very, very clear that this plant needs to be talked about on a far bigger scale than four weeks time. So we're going to come back to that as always, guys, thank you so much for your constant support of the show. Make sure you're following us on all social media platforms. Make sure if you're listening to us on Apple and Spotify, you put the notifications on, you will get notified right away when a new episode drops, but until next time, babes, bye. Thank you guys so much for stopping by today. We appreciate you so, so much. If you like this episode and you want to hear more or be updated with episode drops, please make sure to send us some love on our Instagram page, the Be Real Babe podcast. Give us a follow and stay tuned for more realness coming to you next week. Until next time, babes.